0: Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. So delighted to be with you. My name is Roger. For those of you who don't know me, I love the theme that God was doing, that God is stirring in all of our midst. It's a theme of miracles. It's a theme of believing in God. Two weeks ago, I had a chat to one of our pastors, Mitchell's Plain Congregation, Enrico Orantes. Some of you know him. Enrico shared how God came into church deaf, 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 become deaf through a sickness and uh, used to hear, but now it's been years that he couldn't hear. They laid hands on him and his ears popped and he could hear perfectly needless to say, he gave his heart to Jesus. And I mean, I pray for people and sometimes they don't get healed. And, but I'm seeing more. I'm seeing more than before people getting healed. But two months ago, one of our churches in every nation, somebody came in, in a wheelchair. Same thing. They prayed and they stood up healed. Can we believe God for more? Can we be believing God for more? He's a God who says, as we ask, we receive. Amen. As we seek, we find. As we knock, the doors opened. I pray today your heart will be stirred, and you'll start believing in new ways Amen. and in fresh ways. Amen. Let me tell you about a story about two very bad boys that started to come to Every Nation Rose Bank. And they came for all the wrong reasons. They came to network, to make money and to pick up women, although they were married. Okay, really bad. And uh, Pastor Simon and Pastor Greg started to try to disciple them. We tried, <laughs> And they were not interested. They want to come to Connect Group, you know, just come to church every now and again. And what they were doing in business with bribes and how they're being unfaithful, just so many things, it was so bad. And then the one brother died. And they came and they asked Pastor Si, could they do, could could the other brother, the remaining brother, could we do a memorial service here? Simon's like, I don't even know if these guys knew Jesus. But um, the remaining brother said, look, I know you've got some COVID deficit and I know you're believing for some things. So I'm gonna put an EFT into the church bank account for this amount of money, a lot of money. Um, But what I need you to say in return is at the memorial service that you say this about my brother, that he was a saint. (laughs) So Simon said, I'll see what I can do. (laughs) So, So the memorial started. And Simon said this, this man was racist, ungodly, cheated on his wife, abused his children, terrible business practices, sub-grade work in all that he did but compared to his brother he was a saint <laughs> it's just a story okay it didn't really <laughs> it didn't really happen all of us all of us are sinners all of us are sinners saved by grace and I trust that all of us, because of our faith in Jesus, are saints as well. We're in week four of Galatians. And what I want to speak to you today, if, if you get it right, and it's not that you have to do a whole lot of work. If you get it right, your life will be one of great joy. Your life here on earth will be one of great fulfillment, great purpose, and great peace. If you get it wrong, either it'll be a life of great striving Great heartache, or life just wasted in sin and meaninglessness. Tertullian, an early church father, said the following. He said, "Just as Jesus was crucified between two thieves, remember there was a thief on either side, so the gospel is ever crucified between these two errors." I've been both. Sometimes I'm a bit of both even in the same week and maybe you are too. So the one error is this. You must live right to be saved. That's not the truth and I'll unpack that for you. The other error is God accepts you just as you are. Okay, and you look at those and I I kind of relate to both. The one is The religious, and I mean that in a bad way, it's the religious mindset, it's the legalists, it's the moralists. Now, there's nothing wrong with morals, but when you're standing on how right you are, your good deeds, your righteousness, and you've got a long pointy finger at everybody, that's an error. And the other side is the irreligious, the antinomians, which means the lawless. Either one is an error. And, you know, the Western mindset has a predisposition towards dualism. We either say it's freedom of choice or it's predestination, choose one. Or it's east versus west, or black versus white, or traditional versus modern, or first world versus third world, or oppressor versus victim. We we tend to go towards a dualism all the time. The one says, you must live right to be saved, and the other one says, God accepts you just as you are. Now, before we go to this chapter in Galatians, we need to frame it, because we're going to look at those who are legalists, and I want you to look at the law. I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture, and you might want to get excited about it, but it's a trap, okay? (laughs) So don't say amen and hallelujah as I read this to you. Okay, so an enslaved people, the Israelites, with very little culture and law, get taken out of Egypt. And God forms them into a nation, and He gives them the mitzvah, the 613 laws and the Ten Commandments, to form them and to shape them. And it's not that these laws were, there's anything wrong with these laws. And He says this to them. Now, this was for the Jewish people. It's not for us, it's for the 613 commands for the Jewish people. It says, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. And it goes on and on and on. If you do this, you will get that. Transactional. No faith required, no relationship required. It's just input that and output will be, be that. But if you get it wrong, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, it's a couple of verses later, or be careful to do his commands and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. You'll be cursed in the city, cursed in the country. It's like a reverse. The fruits of your womb will be cursed and the crops of your land. You'll be cursed when you come in, cursed when you go out. The sky of your head will be bronze and the ground beneath you, iron. No relationship was needed. It was purely transactional. No need for prayer or worship or heart. Just do these and you'll get that. The truth of the matter is, it's impossible To obey the 613 commands. It's impossible to obey the 10 commandments. Just who of you has never broken the 10 commandments? Like, not one. Just come and pray for us afterwards, okay? (laughs) Our fallen nature, our brokenness, we need a Savior. Outside of Jesus, we cannot bootstrap ourselves. God knows this, and and this law was just to point towards something greater. It was to point towards a Savior, a Messiah. A while later in history, but still in the old covenant, God says this in Jeremiah 29. He says, the days are coming, and I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Not like the covenant I made with your fathers on the day I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. Not like this covenant. For this is the covenant I will make. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. God is looking for transformed hearts from the inside out, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And I share all of that with you because what we're going to read in Galatians is what happened to this beautiful church that started strong. And then all of a sudden, they started to drink some other Kool-Aid, and they started to mix pure relationship with God with a whole lot of legalistic, moralistic views. Now, before you say it doesn't apply to me, it's not just Jewish legalism, um, and, it, and I know some people are like trending that way. The only form of uh, Jew, uh, Jewish faith that we got today is an offshoot off, off, off of the Pharisees, there were five branches at the, top of, at the time of Christ. The only Pharisaism offspring remains. And you don't want to go down that, that path. But we're also talking about moralism, those people who through their own righteousness, so if you say, I'm not trying to be Jewish, but often we moralistic in our approach to the way we judge others and the way we judge ourselves. So let's go to Galatians, and as we read God's word, we'll see how they drifted from faith to legalism. Paul writes in, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. He's saying to them, Jesus was portrayed and presented to you as the one who has paid the price. You don't have to pay the price. You don't have to bootstrap yourself. You don't do it by your own efforts. Jesus Christ was presented to you as the one who died for you. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. There's a bit of irony, a bit of sarcasm here. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit or are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh, by your own efforts? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you His Spirit And work miracles amongst you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard. So also, Abraham, saying, Your forefather believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This passage is packed with revelation. The most important one is the reminder that Jesus paid the price for them. Tetlestai, that's what Jesus cried out. It is finished. Paid in full. Every other faith is what you have to do, these five rules or reincarnate a thousand times until you, Jesus said it is done, paid in full, tetelestai. He's reminding them of that. He's reminding them of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the experience of the touch of his love. And if you want God and you've never experienced the Holy Spirit, come forward afterwards and we'll pray for you. And you will receive it by faith through the laying of hands and experience the power and love that God has for you. He's reminding them of the miracles. And and we highlighted, and you just got the sense of miracles in our midst that came by simply believing, simply by trusting. He's reminding them of the gospel. It's a story of love. It's a story of the Father's welcome. It's a story of going into exile And then coming home. That's the gospel. It's coming home. It's the prodigal son coming home. It's a story of God's touch and his indwelling presence. It's a story of forgiveness. Above all, it's a story of Jesus paying the price for our sins so we could have a relationship with the Father. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11 says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. It's not that all religions are the same. All of them say you got to do this. Christianity, Jesus has done it. So you ask them five questions. Who has bewitched you? Who has deceived you? How did you receive the Spirit? Having begun by the Spirit, why are you reverting back? Did you suffer in vain? Because in those days, a lot of persecution on Christians, as they are today in many nations, restricted nations. And how do you get the Spirit? By the law. Or by believing. I want to ask you, how was your salvation experience? How did you receive that? How did you experience that? I want you to recall your baptism, your water baptism, and the freedom that you experienced. I want you to go back to that moment where you received the Holy Spirit. Because these things keep us from being caught back into works, back into moralism, back into legalism. We receive these things by faith, not through our own goodness. We begin our walk with God and with the Spirit by faith, not by our efforts. Before Christ, everything was based on the law, and to the extent that you obeyed the law. Now in Christ, there's an invitation for us to receive. I was at Melrose Arch yesterday talking to a young man who had been raised in a Christian family, and he said this to me, he said, it's just, it's just about obeying the Ten Commandments. And I said, no, it's not obeying the Ten Commandments. It's not going to get you there. Nobody obeys the Ten Commandments in, over their entire life. James chapter 2, verse, verse 10 says this, Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. It's what the Word of God says. We're in trouble if we rely on our own goodness. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Maybe you're not trying to be a Jewish legalist. Maybe you're relying on your own goodness or wokeness or humanity. And you know what you're doing in effect? You're saying Jesus didn't need to come. I don't need Jesus because I'm good enough. I'm my own savior. You know how people do that? Some people do it by like, they just lower the bar so low that it's easy to get over. They just lower the bar. And they go like, I'm not Adolf Hitler. Step over the bar. Some people, they don't lower the bar, but they still try to, try to do it in their own goodness. Um, I went to a Catholic school. And there were two concepts there that, Came out of the dark ages. Now there's many Catholics that love Jesus and will meet in heaven. But, but the Catholics introduced two concepts. Purgatory and penance. You heard of them? Yeah. So purgatory is this like cooked up by theologians. Cooked up in a bad way. All right? Cooked up by theologians that like we are such sinners that when we die there's no ways God can accept us. So we'll put you in like the holding pattern. You know? So We'll put you in a holding cell. For 20,000 years just to clean up your act. Because they couldn't grasp the power and the love and the payment that Jesus effected on the cross. So they say purgatory. Just put them in purgatory for a while. Some people go like, okay, so to avoid purgatory, I'll do penance. I will try to pay for my own sins on earth. But this is what the Bible says. Imagine you go to, a, to pick up your car at a car, uh, second-hand um, car dealership where they fix your car at the back, and it's filthy. Imagine it's absolutely filthy. You didn't have the money to send it to Volkswagen, so you sent, you sent it down to the dark side of Joburg, and that's where your car... And you see these, like, filthy rags there, you know? And God bless you if you've got a car dealership, and may God prosper you. This is... The, downtown jersey but there's filthy rags there our righteous acts when relied on to stand before god in our own holiness are like filthy rags that's the context it's not saying don't do righteous acts of course not but it's saying if you're relying on them to say i'm fine those in god's eyes are like these filthy filthy rags so, so lately, with um, home affairs, when we do weddings, we meet with the couple like a day or two days before, because there's this new thing where you have to be fingerprinted. You have to be fingerprinted, because you know why? You don't want on the day of the wedding the bride to have her fingers covered in ink, and she's in a white dress. It's just going to be a mess, right? <laughs> it's looking for disaster. The ink's going to go everywhere, and that's what our Righteous acts are like in the sights of God. It's just going to be a mess. This is what the legalist says, or the moralist. He says, or she says, I obey. I do good to be accepted. This is what the gospel says. Because of Jesus, I've been accepted. Therefore, I live, I do, and I gladly follow. The legalist, the moralist says, My motivation is actually, if they're honest, it's fear and it's insecurity. Whereas those that have chosen that middle path of the cross of Jesus, there's gratitude and there's great joy. Religion, the moralist says, I obey to get things from God. Versus, I love God. I have him, he is my delight. And I follow I follow him with joy. Now there's two incredible people who were commended by Jesus, and they were so unusual in Matthew. And the first one was the war criminal, the hated centurion. Okay, you read about what Romans did to nations, and they were despised, hated, feared by the Jews. And it says, when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion, who's a Roman army officer, came and said, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Effectively saying, I see you, I see you've got authority, I believe in you, you've got the goods. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and he said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Think about people that believe in you. Think about people that expect the best from you. Think about those people when they see you, they're like, this is going to be great. They, they get the best from you, right? Versus think about those people who like, well, show me your stuff. I don't think you can do anything for me. They don't get the best from you. This man had an expectation in Jesus. Was he Jewish? No. Was he following the law? No what did he have? He had great faith. God doesn't move in response to every need, but God moves in response to faith. Jesus moves in response to faith. Another story, and don't be offended by what Jesus says to her. I'll, I'll, I'll comment on it. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman, now the Canaanites did terrible things, sacrificed their children, all kinds of bad stuff, hated by the Jews. And she cried out, saying, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed, suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. We dog lovers in our family, we understand that one. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Don't be aggrieved by the way Jesus responded to her because it seemed to stir her faith, right? It seemed to stir up. And she received even more. She received the healing, the deliverance of her daughter, and she also received this commendation by Jesus, this you are of great faith. Common factors between the two. They weren't followers of the law. They weren't moralists. They knew their need. They knew they were desperate, They came to Jesus. They came to him with expectation. They came to him with faith. They put their faith in him and they received. The legalists, the moralists put faith in their own efforts, their own ability. If unsuccessful, pain, suffering, curses versus putting our faith in Jesus and his grace. Now, that's the one side. I'm going to go to the other side of the ditch to the relativists, Paul dealt with both, and if we're going to look at this concept, we've got to look at both. People hearing the message of the forgiveness and what Jesus had done, asked this question, what shall we say then? Okay, this is the moral relativist. These are the lawless people. I've given my heart to Jesus, now I can do whatever I want. That's what they say. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? So that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? This is the problem with sin it feels good. Am I the only one who acknowledges? (laughs) Okay, it feels good at the time, it feels good for a time, and then it becomes bitter. And painful. Yeah. These, these lawless relativists were saying just, just do whatever you like with your body but the problem is you reap a harvest and Jesus came that we'd be free from these things. Now C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Four Loves and uh, in the Greek word, in, in the Greek what is translated as love, there's four actual different words. There's eros which is erotic love there's filial, brotherly love, storge, family love. And then there's agape, which is described as unconditional love, which has become popularized whereby we say the highest form of love is unconditional love. I want to put it to you that that definition needs just, just a little bit of tweaking. Okay. so Imagine I'm holding a baby in my arms, my child, and there's something amiss with this baby that will cause this baby not to grow, not to grow up. I won't just be like, well, I just love you unconditionally, just stay as you are, right? I'll do all that I can for that baby to to come into its potential. I'll lay down all my finances that my child might, might grow up. Okay, let's take the reverse example. You've got this perfect, beautiful baby. Perfect, no problems. And you love the baby at three months. You love three-month-old babies. So much so that you go to a mad scientist who can give you an injection that can keep that baby at three months for the rest of its life. Frozen. Frozen, Frozen in time. That's pathological, right? I mean, we should go to jail for that kind of thing. If unconditional love is, I love you, and I don't care whether you come into the fullness, I don't think that's the fullness of love. I don't believe that's the fullness of love. God's love sees past our sins, sees through our sin, but He also sees us for who we we can be, who we meant to be, the fullness of our calling. Yes, God loves us unconditionally. Yes, He sees through our sin, and He loves us. And he sees who we were meant to be. That's a deeper love. And that's a more complete love than this unconditional love that says, to stay as you are. He loves us as we are. But he sees us as we can be. So Paul addresses the Romans and he says, yes, you've been forgiven. Yes, you've been cleansed. But don't go back. Yes, you don't work for your salvation, but grow up into the fullness of who you're meant to be as a man or woman. And if, if Christ has taken you out of darkness, then, and His Word is coming into you, it's like a seed that grows and transforms you from the inside out. When I was young, I didn't like olives. As I've grown up, my taste buds have changed, and as the Word of God comes into you, what you used to enjoy, you no longer enjoy. If your life is constantly, always perpetually bound by sin, then get help, get a pastor, get ministry, get the Bible. Ultimately, if you stay in that place, you'll start to question your salvation, and, and rightfully so. If there's no expression of faith of, of your identity in Christ, in good works expressed out of gratitude, you'll start to question your salvation. Ephesians is one of my favorites. For it is by grace you've been saved, Through faith, and this is not of yourselves. we save by grace through faith because of Jesus. It is the gift of God. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. But he goes on. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So having been saved, having been forgiven by grace through faith, You then say, okay, from here what? Let's live a life of joy and purpose and fulfillment because you are made in the image of God and you are His handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And there are good works prepared just for you to do that God has prepared in advance for you to do. People say, you know, it's just grace, 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 everything's grace, you know? And it is grace, but there's a misunderstanding of that word. eager to do what is good. So grace saves us, but also grace works in us and enables us to say no to bad stuff and yes to good stuff. And we are transformed. So it's no longer like we have to do it, but we're eager to do what is good. Our appetites have changed. Our heart has changed. Dallas Willard, probably the greatest author in the area of Christian transformation says it starts with faith. Starts with you saying, like doubting Tom's, despite my questions, I don't have every question answered, but I believe in you, Jesus. I believe in you, I'm I'm putting my trust in you. You move to a place of a desire to grow, and so you come to church and you read your Bible and you and you want more, you want to know more of God. And then two things happen in parallel: your heart is transformed from the inside out, and you start to do things in obedience, not to earn salvation you saved, but you start to obey what God says. You start to do the things that he wants us to do, and then from those two things, just put an arrow between obedience and joy, you start to live a life from a transformed heart and from obedience of joy and relationship and purpose. That's what happens, Another way to think of it is you're a violin. Okay, just say, I'm a violin. Okay, you're a violin, but your tuning is off. Okay, you're not properly tuned. So you you end up in this great orchestra, and you need to get tuned in to the orchestra. You need to get tuned into the orchestra. As you tuned into the orchestra, you actually tuned in properly to what. Greg C-flat or C-sharp is. You get tuned into something far greater than yourself. And you become the violin that you're meant to be. So too, when we come to Christ, we get tuned into God. We come into peace and harmony with one another, your marriage, your family, the world, and with yourself. The gospel, Jesus coming into our lives, us receiving Him, causes us to become perfectly tuned. Now there are four states of humanity. The first one, pre the fall, we were perfect. Not we, our parents, Adam and Eve, were perfect. They sinned, and so came a state of depravity. When I hear about people doing terrible things in the world, I'm appalled, but I'm not surprised. Because we should not be surprised that people outside of God do bad things. We all, some of you are just nicer than some of us. Okay? I can relate to the depravity that people do outside of Jesus. As we come to God, as we put our faith in Jesus, we come into a state of grace. I hope you're there. And if you're not, then choose today. The invitation is there. We come into a state of grace where we are forgiven. And we are being transformed. We are being regenerated. We're becoming more and more like Him. And then one day we'll be in a state of eternal happiness, yeah. no longer tempted, no longer struggling in ourselves, no longer in need of regeneration because we'll be transformed. Tim Keller says this. Tim Keller's a famous um, pastor, he used to base out of New York, and I, I love the way he says it. He says the legalists. And there's many forms of legalism, many forms of moralism, everybody thinking they're right. The legalists, you got your right wing legalists, your left wing legalists, you got I mean every The legalist says the good are in and the bad are out. The relativist says the tolerant are in and the bigots are out. In other words, we accept everybody, with the only people we don't accept are people who say that somebody else is wrong, you know? So the tolerant are in and the bigots are out. But you know what the gospel says? Those who know that they are not good in themselves and are wholly dependent on grace for salvation and transformation, they are in. And it's the proud that are out. Those who live by the Spirit, dependent on grace for forgiveness and life. Those are the ones who are in. So, I sometimes find myself being a moralist. I'm judging other people. Um, sometimes when I listen to talk radio, you know, there's a lot of moralism going on there. Everybody's judging everybody else. Sometimes I'm a moralist that I'm, I consider my goodness. But living life as a moralist or a legalist is pointless. You can never justify yourself. You'll never be good enough. Or you'll just redefine good to such a low bar that you can get over it. And then you're just cheating. Or you live a lawless life where you just in sin, following the delights of your flesh and receiving the consequence of that. We are called to live by faith, trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ knowing that Jesus has done it. He's paid the price that we could never pay. I pray for you, for all of you, having begun by the Spirit, that you'll continue to live by faith, freed for good works, set free for good works, and assured of salvation. That's the place where we're meant to live, Simultaneously justified by faith, freed for good works, and assured of our salvation. Can we pray together? Lord, I know that I've wrestled with, with these truths, Lord God. And I pray for myself, and I pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, that we would not be moralists, nor would we be lawless. But we would truly put our faith and trust in you. Lord, we would not hide our sins. We would not justify ourselves. And we would not live lives of dissipation, just pursuing the flesh. I'm going to do two prayers today. The first one is to pray for you if If you want to come home, if you've heard this message and you say, I want to put my trust in Jesus. I know I can't clean up my life. I've been bouncing between being a moralist and a lawless relativist. Doesn't matter where you are exactly. There's a welcome from Jesus for you today. All that's required is humility and and faith. I'm going to ask you to be decisive and say, that's me. Um, this is not for me, it's for you. Bible says if if you confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father. So if you want to come home, if you know your sins are separating you from the Father and, and you want to receive forgiveness and give yourself to Jesus, then I'm going to ask that you lift up your hand and I'm going to pray for you. Is anybody here? All right. I'm gonna pray for grace for all of us. Won't you stand with me, please? And if you wouldn't mind, lift up your hands. Lord, as we lift up our hands, we are asking for grace to live this life that you've called us to live. Lord, with courage and joy and faith. Lord, may we not rely on our good works but may we trust in you completely holy spirit come upon us and grace us to say no to ungodliness and yes to you yes to you that people would behold our lives and they would see you they would see something that they haven't seen before lord your goodness and glory because you've transformed us and we're walking at our calling with with purpose and joy So as we lift up our hands, we say, Lord, fill us with your grace and fill us with your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.